Welcome to the CEC Report for the 27th of January 2017. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show, first test for Trump, Glass-Steagall. And the TPP is dead, why is Turnbull still pushing it? So firstly, first test for Trump, Glass-Steagall. Now, of course, everyone would have seen in the TV and various reports this week that How Trump... you miss it? <laughs> exactly. Uh, that Trump was inaugurated to uh, in unprecedented hysteria, really. The reaction was stunning. Um, one headline even screamed, Will Donald Trump be assassinated, ousted in a coup, or just impeached? That was the London Spectator, but there were variations of that across the board and we're going to talk a bit today about why there is such hysteria coming from the establishment media and from you know the very highest of political figures. Um, so we saw of course protests, we've been seeing dodgy dossiers, smear campaigns, that's all been a part of it and as we said on last week's show which is worth watching if you haven't seen it, uh, this has all the markings of a colour revolution uh, to bring down the US president but the, the point is Colour revolutions are a new means of warfare uh, and basically were invented by the Anglo-Americans as a more or less peaceful way to a point, as we saw in Ukraine, sometimes it goes well beyond that point, but a means of bringing down leaders to enforce regime change when there's political leaders that they don't like that are taking nations in a certain direction that they don't like. So the fact, Craig, that this is being wielded now against the United States, which is part of that Anglo-American establishment that created this, that set it up, this is a big deal. And Putin, President Putin of Russia actually described it as unparalleled oh. in history. Uh, so basically we see here that the establishment has lost control of one of its own. Well, that's what's happening here, Lisa, is that they're terrified at the the power of the people mm -hmm. is going to assert itself, like in the mass strike that we've been talking about on this program. And what was st stunning, if people have to go back, that the major media and the, the political class completely mm -hmm. missed the fact that this mass strike was taking place yeah. in the US and Donald Trump got himself elected. Now, we don't know what Donald Trump is going to do. It's very early days. He's got members of his cabinet that's they're in all sorts of different factions of the Republican Party. So it's impossible at the moment to have some sort of a forecast about which way this presidency is, is going. But what you can bet your boots on is that those forces, those political forces like the British, for example, who have had more to do with trying to influence US policy right, than anyone else on the face of this planet. I mean, you've had unprecedented interference in this last US election, not by Russia, mm. but by Germany, by, by, the, by Britain and so forth, by denouncing Trump yeah. prior to the campaign. Uh, and the, the sort of smear campaigns that were run by other countries towards the US, it wasn't Russia. Actually, if you have a look at what Russia actually said, they said that they will not interfere in the domestic policies of other countries. Mm. Uh, and that's... That's actually a matter of record. So what you're seeing here is what we refer to as a revolutionary potential of the population. Yeah, because it's not so much Trump that they're worried about, although he has certain policies, if he follows through on them, which we'll talk about, which are a threat. And reproachment with Russia, for example, is one of them. Hmm. If um, Russia and America begin to collaborate, if America and China begin to collaborate, suddenly the whole idea of a unipolar order, Anglo-American-headed, 
is out the window, which means the entire global financial system is out the window too. But see, this is where Glass-Steagall comes in because mm. one of the most immediate ways to bring down the established order, which is you know destroying so many lives and countries around the world, would be for Trump to introduce Glass-Steagall. Um, well, see, that's, that's the key here. The global financial crisis has never been fixed. You know, you had the 2008 period where the world basically fell over financially. Now you had a great opportunity there to deal with Wall Street, separate out these huge, too big to fail banks that had nothing but speculation as part of their operation that actually fell over, separate them out from a legitimate commercial banking operation. You said, what did we get? We got massive bailouts for trillions of dollars into the major Wall Street banks and nothing has been changed. Now, this has led to the point that we're at today where we now have Trump in the presidency. He said he wants to introduce a 21st century Glass-Steagall. There's an enormous groundswell for mm. that inside the United States. However, it's just not going to happen. I mean, you also see that he's appointed a lot of Goldman Sachs bankers to his inner cabinet. And, you know, this, this, the, uh, the idea of... Um, introducing a Glass-Steagall for Wall Street is a cussus belly for war. I mean, these people, these bankers are not going to want to see mm. their looting mechanism for the general economy and for the people taken away because that means that they lose their power. Yeah, right now they are deploying the entire economy to keep them, the bankers, in position number one. That's right. And Glass-Steagall would just eradicate that and put the economy back to the service of the common good and the general population. So now we have the situation, what's Trump going to do? I mean, he mm. didn't mention it in his 15-minute uh, speech when he was inaugurated. There's a big move in Ohio to have him introduce this idea of a 21st glass Eagle in his first State of the Union address. Yeah. If he doesn't move on this very quickly, mm. uh, and those people in his cabinet who support glass and really you know, go in and fight, then the bankers are going to take over again. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think you can have any romantic ideas that somehow just because he said he's going to have this 21st class deagle that it's going to happen. Yeah, or what is their definition of a 21st century glass deagle act? Because I want to play a clip here of um, the nominee for Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, answering questions, you'll see, from Maria Cantwell, who's a senator who has been one of the co-sponsors of the existing glass deagle le legislation in the US Congress. So we'll just play the clip. I wanted to ask you, do you, you support uh, returning to Glass-Steagall? Uh, I, I, uh, I don't support going back to Glass-Steagall as is. Uh, what we've talked about with the president-elect is perhaps we need a 21st century Glass-Steagall. But no, I, I don't support going back as is of taking a very old law and say we should adhere to it as is. And so is that the position of what the Republican platform was? Because I thought it was Glass-Steagall. Uh, again, the Republican platform uh, did pass at the convention Glass-Steagall and the president-elect. Uh, and when we talked about policy with the president-elect, our view is we need a 21st century Glass-Steagall. So when did, that, when did that change? Oh, that, that, that's been... Uh, a, again, that's been part of the campaign. It's been in some of his speeches. 
So what, like October or? I, I don't. But I don't, after I don't the remember. convention, at the convention, it was Glass-Steagall. At the convention, the Republican position was Glass-Steagall. And so his position was never Glass-Steagall. Is that what you're saying? Or all along he meant a different version. Uh, again, I, I can only tell you that post-convention, this is an issue that he and I have discussed. Okay, and something that we will be looking at, but and not. And do you think that Mr. Manafort's leaving had anything to do with the change? No. Okay. So you think that, uh, to me, this is a very important issue. In fact, I would have said some point in August that the Republican platform had a stronger position on Glass-Steagall than the Democratic platform. But now I understand that the president-elect doesn't really support Glass-Steagall. He supports some modern version which I don't understand. So maybe you could help me. Tell me what that modern version is. Uh, again, I think that uh, I think that separating out banks and investment banks right now under Glass-Steagall would have very big implications to the liquidity in the capital markets and banks being able to perform necessary lending. Yeah, so it's pretty clear, Craig, that this former Goldman Sachs banker Mnuchin is very concerned about liquidity for the banks, or in other words, what happens if you implement Glass-Steagall, you're going to be cutting off the source of funding because they rely on the access to the deposits of the people and different forms of those deposits mm. being used and reused for this gambling activity. So if that ends, um, you know, these bankers, and there's six Goldman Sachs former bankers and executives in yeah. Trump's cabinet. And it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise to people. I mean, this guy's a billionaire. He's going to appoint some of his billionaire friends. Um, and as you said, there's other people on the opposite side of the fence as well in his cabinet. And it is possible to make that workable. Um, Lincoln was famous for having what they called a team of rivals, mm -hmm. where he expertly played off friends and enemies of his to get things done. Yeah, listen, I think the best thing to do is to, for, to refer people to our Australian Alert Service publication because we go through all of this in much more detail than we can cover in a show like this. And I think for people to fully understand the Glass-Steagall, they need to get this publication mm. because it's not a, a popular slogan. This is a no. real serious policy directive whereby you can transform the nation. It's not just Glass-Steagall where you, uh, uh, you know, separate out the legitimate commercial banking system from the speculation and quarantine the speculation, write it off, get rid of it. Mm. It's also a policy of national banking, creating the credit necessary to really stimulate the economy through spending it into productive areas of the economy. That's what the speculators don't want. Mm. Right? That's what Trump is angling for with his $1 trillion infrastructure prog program. Their idea for how to fund that is through, unfortunately, you know, private-public partnerships and so forth. There is a tradition, which we talk about in the a publication here about national banking and credit creation through Alexander Hamilton. Mm. Now, that the bankers are terrified, as they were when Hamilton was alive over 200 years ago, that this sort of tradition can come to the fore again, mm. that you could actually have a sovereign nation-state creating credit or communities of sovereign nation-states creating their own credit for their own internal development. So that's a big subject by itself, but as I said, the Australian Alert Service always covers yeah. these materials so that we give people a much deeper background into what the sort of policies are that are required that but Trump needs to follow, but also our own government here. Mm. And we've got to stop for a quick break, but we'll keep talking about this right when we get back. Mm. 
Welcome back to the CEC report where we're discussing the first test for Trump, Glass-Steagall. And, you know, we're talking about the prospects of him actually following through on what he's promised in terms of implementing Glass-Steagall, but also, as you said, infrastructure. And the thing is, Trump, he has a big ego, and this could actually work in our favour, funnily enough, because he sees himself as a deal maker. He says, oh, I can do deals, etc., etc." So one thing he's going to want to do is show runs on the board. He's going to want to show accomplishments. So that's something working in our favour. But our job is to educate the population. There is a mass strike as to what actually the guts of Glass-Steagall is. And people have to be educated and informed about the details. The devil is in the detail because what happened it's interesting to look back at the period after Obama came into power in 2009 um, because there was a mistaken idea actually across the board that he would do good things but including Glass-Steagall and he never had any intention of going with Glass-Steagall but there was a massive campaign uh, in the United States because we, our organisation in, over in America had run a massive campaign which resulted in more than six uh, bills in the US Congress at that time by 2010 uh, calling for Glass-Steagall. You had resolutions passed by numerous American state legislatures calling for the federal Congress to implement Glass-Steagall. And this is what happened. Wall Street hired over 3,000 lobbyists, half of them being former employees of the government and including uh, members of the Congress, former members themselves that would go into lobby Congress and that included people that knew the congressman or who could gain their confidence in certain ways. The bank spent millions of dollars. The head of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, actually warned Wall Street they would spend whatever amount of money was required to prevent Glass-Steagall being reinstated. Um, now, in the UK at the same time, you had a massive campaign for Glass-Steagall and our alert service has included coverage of the phenomenal public debate about the need for Glass-Steagall in 2010. Um, but like in the US, we got uh, the, the Dodd-Frank bill, which was not even anything like Glass-Steagall. That was their, you know, what they did instead. In the UK, of course, we got ring fencing which was sort of Chinese walls separating the investment and the, um, uh, the deposit-taking sections of the different banks, which did nothing. And even the designer of that, John Vickers, who headed the commission into the banks investigating them at that time after the GFC, he's now come out saying he's very disappointed. Nothing's been done to rectify the situation and the banks are still in a completely disastrous situation. Yeah, the big difference between ring fencing and Glass-Steagall is Glass-Steagall says you have to break off the commercial sector of the of the bank. It has to have separate board of directors. It has to run completely separate from all the other aspects of banking that are currently under the one roof. Whereas in Britain, they said, no, 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 we can have our commercial banking system and we can have our merchant and so forth banking system, um, but we're going to create a, you know, a paper wall, a Chinese mm. wall between them uh, with the same board over the top. Mm. And one very famous lord uh, said in the parliament during the debate, he said, you know, the thing about bankers is they can get between the wallpaper and the wall yeah. when it comes to banking reg regulations. Yeah. You can't trust them. Mm. So that's why Glass-Steagall is so important. You have strong regulation to say, no, you have to be completely separated because, look, they're just going to whittle down and wear away uh, this legislation, the biggest laws, the, the ring-fencing laws, so that they can just continue doing what they're doing. Mm. That's the nature of bankers. Yep. And, and anyone who knows bankers knows that that's what they do. 
And here in Australia, you know, we have to be prepared. Um, we, it's probably unlikely that it, we have politicians that will have the guts to raise Glass-Steagall and implement it independently. But if this does, if we get the breakthroughs in the US and the UK, we've got to be ready. So get our material, take it to your Member of Parliament, go and sit down with him and talk to him about it. You'll be surprised how little they know. Uh, and, you know, you can contact us to find out more about how you can get involved in that way. Now, we'll stop again, but after the break, we're going to talk about why Malcolm Turnbull is still pushing the TPP. Welcome back to the CEC report. Now we're discussing the TPP is dead. Why is Turnbull still pushing it? Now, of course, we're talking here about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the big trade deal um, that America has pushed, which excludes China. And one of Trump's uh, first orders of business when he was inaugurated as president was to issue an executive order cancelling America's role in the TPP. So that means it's dead in the water. I mean, the US was the biggest player, the initiator of it. Yet our Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said he would still forge along with pushing the TPP and Bill Shorten opposed it. So Turnbull uh, called him a disgrace to the legacy of economic reform that his predecessors as leaders of the Labor Party demonstrated, Hawke and Keating in particular. So to that extent, you know, that's a good thing to dishonour their memory. Um, but Turnbull spoke to the Japanese Prime Minister about this and even he, Shinzo Abe, said... Uh, this deal is meaningless without the United States and Japan's the only member country that's actually even ratified the thing. Um, the Theresa May government, they have been repeating quite a lot that the UK, this is since the Brexit of course, that the UK will be the new champions of free trade for the world. So what we wonder is whether Turnbull is throwing in his lot with Britain. Now, to, to show you, to give you an idea of what Britain's talking about here, I just want to quote a little bit of what Theresa May said at the Davos mm. Forum, which occurred, Craig, on the 17th to the 20th of January. Now, May praised globalisation and free trade, and she went through all the supposed benefits and so forth, and she said... Yet, those forces for good are being called into question. The forces of liberalism, free trade and globalisation, forces that underpin the rules-based international system that is key to our global prosperity and security, are somehow at risk of being undermined. And then she said that parties on the far right and the far left are exploiting the people's recognition that these forces are not working for them. And in combating that, she said that the UK will step up to a new leadership role as the strongest and most forceful advocate for business, free markets and free trade anywhere in the world to shape a new era of globalisation that will bring the benefits of free trade to every corner of the globe. And if this sounds like the old British Empire, hey, it is. In October last year, and we reported this in the alert at the time, the head of the Royal British Navy said the Royal Navy stands ready once again to be melded and aligned for the best effect with our nation's growing global ambition, just as it did at the height of the empire. <laughs> and he even referred to Britain's growing position of global maritime uh, leadership and talked about long, the long boats, the days of you know, yeah. the maritime rule. 
And of course, Craig, the TPP was originally designed as part of Obama's Asia pivot. So it really is a geopolitical plan. Um, and of course, now that it's wrecked, this looks like Britain is you know, going to introduce some other ruse of sorts. Well, you have to go back. People don't really understand history, but free trade is a policy of the old British Empire, the, in particular the British East India Company. It was established as a form of economic warfare against sovereign nation states to destroy sovereign nation states by destroying the actual control of their trade. And this is what the American Revolution was fought over. Yeah. The, 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 you know, this was about the control at that time of the British Empire over the young American colonies. And the American colonies said, we don't want this. We want to be our own independent sovereign mm, nation. They, they were prohibited from They're actually producing, producing anything iron, out of their cotton. Or everything out had of to be imported. Like, this is the policy of free trade. So when you talk about free trade these days, it means implicitly no government control, no government regulation, mm. no national banking. Everything has to be at the mercy of the market. Mm. Small government, right? And this is what uh, Theresa May is talking about. So the actual control of governments is done by the private sector. You have an opposite view to that, which is the view mm. of the BRICS. It's yeah. a view of Xi Jinping where he is saying, you know, this, this mode of globalisation is destroying populations, destroying people. Yes, we need globalisation in the sense of sharing technologies and, and developing ourselves, you know, infrastructure-wise internationally, but we can't do it at the expense of populations for mm. the sake of private profits in the private boardrooms of actually bankrupt banks. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a philosophical fight mm. that's taking place. Now, interestingly, look, if you shut down Alcoa, like here and has been discussed in the last week, and 600 people lose their jobs, that's a product of globalisation because you've, you've actually nationally, you've actually privatised the power sector. Mm -hmm. So instead of having cheap power to develop industry, you, you, everything is subject to market forces. So people lose their jobs. If we've just shut down our, our manufacturing industry, as far as cars are concerned, and we're losing more and more manufacturers. Now that has a direct response to the people, and the people rebel against, they hate this policy. Mm -hmm. Now Theresa May saying, well, you know, that people are rejecting our policy because of the right and the left factions. No. People are rejecting the policy because the policy stinks. Mm. And that's why Trump's come to power. He's promising more jobs and trying to do things uh, to support his population. I believe there's a genuine you know, support for that. How he goes about it, well, we'll have to wait mm. and see how that's done. Yeah, and it was very interesting, Craig, because you referenced what Xi, the Chinese president, has been saying. And, of course, he gave a speech in the plenary session at Davos which was virtually the polar opposite. This is the first time he's been invited. Exactly. Then. First time a Chinese president's ever spoken at this, you know, inner circle grouping of financial, you know, top elites. Um, and he basically said, as you said, um, and it was the polar opposite of Theresa May, that we've got a new era of globalisation where you have to have it based upon the right philosophy and model. So he talked about things like the excessive chasing of profits and the failure of financial regulation has been one of the problems which led to the global financial crash. Um, and he said that instead, globalisation should be guided by governments which chart the right course for it. And he said China follows a people-oriented development philosophy and is committed to bettering the lives of its people. Development, he said, is of the people, by the people and for the people. China pursues the goal of common prosperity. 
Mm. Right, so this is globalisation for the common good and that really is the notion that Glass-Steagall and the uh, related ideas of development and public credit will bring back to the people and to our nations. Elisa, dumb people get dumb governments. When you get smarter people in government and supported by a population that's in mass strike mode, then you'll get massive change because if you've got the leadership in position, mm. the change can be very quick and yeah. very beneficial for the population. That's what's facing Australia right yeah. now. Yeah, and that's the key with our role in educating people that are waking up to know what to do. So thanks for tuning in and join us again next week.